Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb Welcome to Groundhog Minute the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day, one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your other host, Dave. And joining us again today, we have Ben Butina of Department 12, an IO Psychology Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot for coming back, uh, Ben. We had a great show yesterday. And so I've been kind of thinking about it overnight before we get into, well, let me just say, so we're here to talk about minute 30, but before we get into it, um, I was thinking about some of the things we talked about yesterday and I'm wondering, so someone coming in with Phil symptoms, what would be the diagnosis? So I think based on what, you know, we've seen in the movie, I think what Dr. Awesome Couch would be writing in his case notes as Phil is leaving to go to the awesome bowling alley bar, what he'd be writing is probably a diagnosis of um, a psychotic disorder not otherwise specified. And what that means is that there is a, a psychotic symptom, in this case a delusion, um, but it hasn't ended, so we can't call it brief psychotic disorder. We don't know if it's going to end or when it's going to end. And there's no other symptoms there, so we can't really point to anything else. So it's kind of like a catch-all. We'd say, yeah, psychotic disorder not otherwise specified. I think uh, those of us in the audience might also call him a narcissist, but I don't think he would get like a diagnosis for that. <laughs> right. They generally don't lock people up just for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would kind of agree that that applies to Phil because the so the doctor mentions abnormal psychology, which again, in, in just my my kind of Wikipedia reading level of knowledge seems like another broad um, kind of just catch all of just unusual behavior or unexplained behavior that may be part of a, you know, may stem from a mental disorder, but uh, not, yeah. not a specific diagnosis. Yeah. So abnormal psychology is just kind of a, the category term for anything that would just to keep it simple, anything that would bring you into a psychiatrist or a psychologist's office. So I talked about that sort of like line yesterday between negative 10 and 10 with zero in the middle Abnormal mm -hmm. psychology is anything on the negative side. Anything on the positive side, we'd call positive psychology these days. But it really could be, um, you know, like a, a psychosis like we're talking about here, or it could be narcissistic personality disorder or just major depression or anxiety or, you know, specific phobia, a lot of things that bring you in. But those all fall under the category of abnormal psychology versus sort of normal, I guess you would say, or, or average human functioning. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, if this if this psychiatrist, if he really was paying attention to the clues that Phil was giving him, that his day was repeating, and you can't just laugh it off and say, "Oh, well, we'll just meet tomorrow." If he really could get down to it, I mean, he could have himself an honest to god good research paper on on this situation, and you know, he could write himself a nice little coffee book on it. But I mean, he's really just over his head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. This would be it would be a, a slam dunk to get this paper published. Well, yeah, and if you go on, you know, if he goes on the the lecture circuit, I mean, doing talks where you bring out, you know, have Phil come out and do his little the little parlor trick that he does in the diner later for Rita, where he like goes through, you know, everyone in the first row of the auditorium and and you know gives them their recites their life story back to them because he's, he's done it so many times. Like if he could do that repeatedly, um, 
mean, that that's big money, I would think. You could, you could, we're, you know, write your own ticket. We're definitely setting up a cool career for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, I think that that we'll we'll, we'll close the book on uh on on that session. I see our our time is up with with the psychologist <laughs> or psychiatrist. So, all right. So let's let's move on to uh to minute thirty. So, uh, so Dave, remind us what happens in minute thirty. All right. So in minute thirty, Phil questions his day in the Virgin Islands. And asks why he can't repeat that day over and over again. He asks the two locals they, that they're that he's drinking with, what would they do if they were in the same place repeating the same day and nothing mattered? And they comment that it about sums it up for them. Yeah, so this is this is kind of a pivotal minute of my understanding and, and my interpretation of this movie. And as I think I've said it at least twice before uh, it, through our various discussions in these minutes that in addition to the philosophical and, and religious interpretations of Phil's dilemma, there's, I believe there's a literal interpretation of this movie. And um, I think it's, it's Ralph um, of, of Ralph and Gus, the, the two locals that he's talking with. I think it's Ralph who noticed, you know, notes that about sums it up for me. I mean, you, these guys probably have lives where yeah. they're they're in one place, they do the same thing every day, and and nothing they you know in in the big scheme of things, nothing they do no nothing they do matters because they're going to wake up in the same day, you know, in the same place tomorrow, mm-hmm. and they're going to do the same thing. It might as well be the same day. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a. I think I probably watched this movie several times before the importance of that line hit me because it always just kind of like hit like, haha, that was a pretty good, pretty good delivery of that line. Uh, but I would watch it with my wife and every time I'd watch it with her, whenever he delivered that line, she would make this little like whimpering. And I was like, Oh, and that's when I realized that like, yeah, that's where this movie's really connecting with people is it's, you know, Phil is in this unusual situation where he's in a time loop, but this, you know, waking up every day, doing the same thing, nothing ever changes. This is not so far from reality for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's heavy. It's heavy to think about. And so I, I want to, so now we, I want to get to Phil's story about the Virgin Islands. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that was like, that was Phil at his best. <laughs> you know, he has, he probably has got himself a nice beach package at a nice hotel. <laughs> he knows that he's not going to see any of these people again. And he probably met a woman who had the same thought. I'm not going to be any of these time again. I'll meet some guy. And then, yeah, they sit on the beach, they eat lobster, they have pina coladas and they make love. And, and they with, with, <laughs> like sea otters. like sea otters and without a care that they'll ever see each other again. You know, like that yeah. was Phil at his best. He didn't have to worry about anything. He wasn't, pestering anyone at the hotel yeah i think if punksy is phil's hell or his purgatory then this day in the virgin islands is his idea of heaven do you think oh yeah it's warm oh, sure sure the people there are like yeah they're 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 happy to be there but not in like a small town uh hick kind of that he sees them as yeah so let me ask you, I want to ask both of you guys this question. This is one that I've been thinking about since I found out what minute I was going to be doing is, um, you know, I, I guess first I'll preface this by saying that this is his idea of heaven and it's this very hedonistic idea of heaven, right? Like everything yeah. goes right. Food's great. Drink's great. The mm-hmm. beach is great. You're having great sex, blah, 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 blah. So it's this very hedonistic view. What I wonder is if this movie, if if this time loop was on that day, do you think Phil would be happy? 
Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. Phil would not. <laughs> no. No. Anything would aggravate Phil. Like, that's the way it would come down to. I I could see it now. See, I, that's a deleted scene or something. I could see it in my head of Phil's on this beach and all the little. You say that day. Like, uh, or, or he says that. that uh, um, oh, why can't I have that day over again? No, because all the little cracks of people like all those little things you'd start to notice so the the beach like you get aggravated at the sun he started to get aggravated at how the girl talked or how she cracked her lobster or how she slurped uh you know the butter with the shrimp you know he'd fi- he started finding the margaritas start, starting to taste too salty it would just be these little things that like one day when he's comparing it to working in pittsburgh or wherever you know this place is heaven but when he would have that day over and over again I don't know. I think he would want to escape. I think he would actually look forward to getting out of the Virgin Islands, and he would try to get try to get a charter plane or something. <laughs> oh, sorry, sir, the sto- a storm is going to be coming in. Yeah, i I think it's. I think that's a little bit of a different movie, but oh, I but I agree. He, you know, he he starts happy, and he'd probably think he'd probably be more excited at the first dozen <laughs> or twenty or you know the first. Times through the loop, he'd be a little happier than he is here. It may take him a little bit longer till he ends up just drinking coffee in a in a bowling alley with a couple local drunks. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Dave. That you know this 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 the the woman that he's spending this time with that she'd start to drive him nuts. That he he just yeah he'd get tired of her and it would drive him crazy. And then eventually. Eventually, he comes into the same loop that he that he hits. Yeah. Wait, where were you? Where were you saying the sequel? The title was going to be. You said it was going to be Groundhog Day Two Weekend at Phil's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that what you said? I, I think yeah, it's something like that. And I yeah. think Phil, I think Phil carries his hell with him. And I think we see that because he kind of turns his Punxsutawney experience into that as much as he can later on. You know, with uh, Nancy from Lincoln High and Pittsburgh and all that. <laughs> I mean, he he manages to manipulate things in such a way that he can have this perfect hedonistic day, but eventually it's just not enough. You know, I I think that's, it tells us something about Phil is that right now at this point in the story where his head is, is that to him, heaven is this just hedonistic world where everything is in his control. And, um, he, he was never going to get that. That's, that was never, that idea of the good life is just never going to satisfy him. So yeah, so we cut we cut to the we cut to the locals when he has his coffee and and so which one which ones which again which which one's the hat the hat the hat the hat is Ralph it's those Gus and the the guy who that we see yeah so the, the guy who says uh you know fills the the half empty kind of guy <laughs> that's Gus so yeah although just Gus is like if I can just quick yeah I just sorry I just want to go quickly back to. Before we go on to, to, to Gus and Ralph, okay. just the, the question that Phil asks, and I think it's, we have, you know, we've kind of asked the same question in different ways, though. You know, he says, why couldn't I get that day over and over? <laughs> yeah. And the answer is Phil. I think the answer to that question is the same answer to the question of why is this happening to Phil? Why is Phil stuck in Punxsutawney? Yeah. And then we, he just extends it. Why is he stuck in Punxsutawney? And not the Virgin Islands. And then the answer to all of it is, you know, Phil is what, you know, is just who Phil is, where he is, 
kind of mentally and emotionally and what kind of person he is. Yeah. That's why he doesn't get that day over and over again. And I think that, you know, it, it it's easy to step back and judge Phil at this point in the story, but he has this intuition that I think all of us have at some level to say, we'd be happy if just everything would arrange itself perfectly for us. If conditions would just <laughs> line up right and we get mad when they don't line up right, you know? But I think, you know, Dave kind of hit it and it follows right on that with, oh, I see you as a half class empty kind of guy, Phil. Like, it's not real deep what he's saying, but he's saying like, the story is at least telling us like, hey, you really want to know the answer to this question. You know, you need to be looking in the mirror. Yeah. 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 So, so that's what, I just wanted to point out what they were drinking as well. So we mentioned the coffee yesterday, but so yeah, you have, you have Gus with what looks to be like, he's got an empty bottle of beer. He's got a second beer he's working on. And it looked like Ralph has, he's got a big beer and just two shots of whiskey just for himself. <laughs> and it just, I'm just like, Ralph's really hitting it hard tonight. He's already got one down. <laughs> he's got one shot glass down already. And there, well, I wonder what's going on with, well, I guess they're, they're locals here. They're in here every night. They trust. I just, I'm noticing, I, I assume it's Gus, like his keys and wallet are right out on the bar, but like, I'm like, I wouldn't do that, but I don't have like a regular neighborhood bar where I know all the regulars and everything. I mean, he's probably at the point where at the end of the night, he just, you know, to the bartender, there's my wallet whatever you know take out what however much i drank you take it out because i can't count anymore <laughs> yeah, you're yeah right. i mean if you're the kind of guy who walks into a bowling alley and says you know <laughs> give me a tall one and two shots just leave them on the bar then i don't think you're going to be that concerned about your security plus somebody steals that car you're not down that much <laughs> well yeah <laughs> they're, yeah they're probably not too worried about it yeah so it's uh a little bit of the homespun blue collar wisdom of the drunks that Gus has Gus has pegged Phil kind of faster than than anyone else. I mean, Rita had, um, you know, she hasn't known him long, but she's known him at least a day. They had a, a, a van ride that at least 90 minutes in a van together. And, you know, she hasn't quite figured him out. You have the trained professional, the psychologist. Didn't, yeah. You know, wasn't able to put a finger on it, but there's Gus saying, you know, he's he's got Phil's number. Yeah, yeah Gus has he has the diagnosis down. He doesn't have the solution. He's, <laughs> his solution is the escape, which well, you know yeah. Phil goes after pretty hard in the scenes that follow this. So he tries to follow the the Gus plan for life. It doesn't work out so well. <laughs> yeah, the plan just seems to be, yeah, drink up. Which yeah, but I mean, knowing that's something just. Being able to diagnose the yeah. problem. Yeah, Gus gets it. You know, knowing his, his Gus head. knows his own kind. His he head. can look across the bar and see his own kind. <laughs> they recognize <Yeah>. each other. <laughs> yeah. And is uh are those Marlboro lights? They're kind of behind the the uh the MDG or MGD uh, bottle there. But that looks like the uh, the cigarette pack there it looks like Marlboro lights, which I wouldn't have pegged Gus for a a light cigarette smoker, but there you go. So you, I mean, I don't know. What well, is he drinking? Was he drinking? Which beer was he drinking? Let's talk about that. Maybe because he had the bottle right there on the right side of the table. Yeah, he's got the Miller Genuine Draft. All right, so MGD is a full body beer, so that's no, that's not light. So maybe he's t- saying himself like, oh, like, oh man, look at my gut, and I, hey, I'm one to talk right now. 
But anyway, he's <laughs> like, he's like, oh, you know what? He's like, go lay on the six today. <laughs> and so he, and so he goes, he goes, I'll treat myself to the MGD. And I'll tell you, by the way, uh, here's a quick story. First time I MGD, I was at Six Flags with my my friend Nate. And we decided, like, uh, it was my birthday. It was, like, in July. And I was like, you know, man, I was like, I want to go to Amusement Park. I want to go to Amusement Park. Yeah. So we go to Six Flags up. It's mostly, like, us and a lot of, like, like a lot of, like, school groups and stuff. We're all, like, sweating out there waiting to get on, on rides. And I was going through Frontierland. I'm like, dude, I am, like, I am exhausted. We got to eat, man. Like, like this July is just beating us up. And so we go to the lodge. I remember seeing the guy. I was like, I never had a mill. I had a mill light. Never had an MGD. I tell you that that tasted like cream soda when you were thirsty. I had that in a, in a Six Flags cheeseburger, and I was like, "I'm sold on these." And then, like, yeah, I would I would get them all the time, and people are like, "Why? Why are you drinking beer like you're a 50 year old guy?" I was like, "I don't know. These are just so tasty." It's like, yeah, they're packed with calories. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually why things taste good. Yeah, not bad. I think I think in yeah. 1993 at a bowling alley in Punxsy, though, MGD would have been like top shelf. They wouldn't have even carried that. Maybe, maybe in a bottle, but that would have been a Yingling place for sure. Yingling, or I don't know, maybe Bud Light or Coors Light or something like that. But it is kind of funny to think of light cigarettes because the whole idea seems pretty absurd. Like, yeah, well, you know, this is less unhealthy than yeah. a regular cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Now, would they have had Rolling Rock? Uh, yeah, yeah. They would have had Rolling Rock, and it probably still would have actually been made in Western Pennsylvania back then. It's yeah. now made up by you guys somewhere, I think, somewhere in New Jersey. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah. It got after they got taken over by. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually know a guy, and so. hope he's not listening. But I'm I'm from the town where they made Rolling Rock, <laughs> and uh, I know a guy in high school who got the tattoo, you know, the logo tattooed on his arm, and then like the next year. <laughs> they bought it and moved to New Jersey. <laughs> oh wow! That sounds like something that you know Gus might have done. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while he was in the Navy. Yeah. So, I uh, kind of a, a I don't know a side thing. I just picked up the suit. This this must be another day, unless oh. Phil just is doing wardrobe changes. He's in his. He's in the suit that he wears when he does the broadcast in the morning, but the suit that he was wearing at the uh, doctor's office he's that he was wearing yesterday is the the dark blue, the navy blue suit that he was wearing oh, in the van. Yeah. Good eye. So either he's gone back to his room to change clothes, or this is just another day. Oh, yeah, the tie. A, the tie is a checker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was maybe it's just the lighting's different that makes it look lighter than it did, but the tie is definitely different. Yeah, what what are the what's um, the, what are those shapes? What do they call them when oh, when he was at the doctor's office? There's like little round things they put on ties. What do they call them? What's that pattern called? You know? You mean like I don't know. They're not quite. It's not quite a paisley. I don't know, I don't know if they're yeah, supposed to be know. leaves or or what it is. Yeah, yeah. There's some kind of there's a more organic pattern. Yeah. Whereas the tie he's wearing today is a oh, geometric. A okay, so let's all right. Let me walk through. So let me roll my sleeves. Let's walk through this deleted <laughs> scene now. So let's say this is the day after. So then he he goes back to his room, and and maybe he maybe he yeah okay okay I got it. So all right, after the psychiatrist it fails him, he decides yeah now I'll get drunk. So he go he's trying to find the best bar to go drunk, and. And uh, he's like, where can I get like, he looks at the, what cash he has on right now after seeing both doctors, right? Because he's paid them probably both with cash. 
So he's only got mm-hmm. probably like maybe on cash. He's probably got like maybe like 50 bucks left, like in cash right now, unless he goes to the ATM. And I don't even know if ATMs are in this town. Do, yeah. Do you have ATMs see, in, in, in a Western nine, Pennsylvania town? In three, yeah. Yeah. They would have been called Mac machines, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. They, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They existed. Yeah, all right. So, so maybe, but he knows that like his credit card in a lot of these small places is going to be like easy to get. Yeah. To. So anyway, so he looks. He's got right. about you know he's got like some money left, and he start. He probably asks maybe these guys. He says, "Hey man, where can I just get drunk for cheap?" And like, hey, we're going over to the bar. So he goes to them, drinks at the bar with them, and he just gets drunk. Okay, he's the rest of the night. He's just drinking with them, and maybe he stumbles home because he doesn't care. He's going to reset. So then, then he thinks about maybe he had a good time with these guys mm. after making fun of them that day. So he decides to do it again, but with coffee. And he's like, I'm going to open up to these guys now. Like, these guys actually seem to be, you know, mm-hmm. decent dudes. So maybe he, like, follows them from the diner and kind of pals out with them. Yeah, that's a good, mm-hmm. on a later that's a good piece of background. Yeah. I like that idea. It makes a lot of sense, and it never really thought yeah. about it. It sounds like very, like a very minor point, but just how depressing life would be is that if he ever wanted to wear anything other than the clothes that he brought with him, He'd have to take time out of his day to go buy someone somewhere, buy something somewhere, and then the next day it's gone. So it's just basically the same clothes for ten thousand right. years too. Ugh. Yeah, it's his budget is whatever he feels like pulling money out of the yeah. you know the Mac machine, or yeah, whatever's in his wallet right now. Otherwise, he's like you know, oh, I got to waste time getting the money. It doesn't really matter to me my bank account. So it's kind of like that's what his budget yeah. is. And that's probably why he robs it's just so. Just so he doesn't have to worry about doing money. He's like, I'll just do it for the excitement yeah. and then and, and, uh, I'll buy myself a nice yeah. fur coat cowboy. Yeah, you're hat. absolutely right because, you know, back then, especially right. in a small town, like your credit cards are probably, I don't think there was such a thing as a debit card, but most places would have been cash only. So you would have been left limited to whatever you could carry. Good point. Whenever he's going to wear it, we know other than his pajamas, I don't know if we see Phil in anything but a suit. So he's, you know, he's a dressy guy or a formal guy. He's got to go yeah. off the rack. <laughs> you know, if it's like, oh, we got to we got to take in the pants a little bit. We need to do some tailoring. Oh, it'll be mm-hmm. ready in a few days. I don't have a, you yeah. know, that's as makes as much sense as the psychiatrist saying, come back tomorrow. Like he doesn't have time for tailoring. So unless there's, you know, yeah. unless he, you know, is a perfect fit for stuff off the rack. Yeah. He's kind of just yeah. he's stuck with what he got. So. No. You know, keep keep that in mind when you pack for your His next options vacation. options for formal wear are going to be limited within <laughs> Punxsy Town limits, too, I think. Yeah. yeah. You're right about the formal wear. But, yeah, like I could definitely see there's got there's, – once again, there's a deleted scene where he goes into one of the local indoor malls around here. And he goes, he goes, he goes, uh, where's the sweat clothes? Okay, great. He just puts the baggy sweat clothes on and, like, an Adidas, like – uh, windbreaker and he's just like I'm good because he can't that's the thing he can't wear his pajamas because they're not going to be like too you know you know outside it's going to be cool because it's yeah it's February yeah. in central but, PA he's but he doesn't freeze, probably yeah. want to wear it yeah button down suit so he's like I'm going to go just I'm just going to buy some new underwear and some and some sweat clothes <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a rain jacket <laughs> so I think I agree with you that this is really one of the key minutes of the movie and it you know, I think one of the things that makes this movie so brilliant is that it tells a universal story, something that really speaks to a lot of people. And it does it in such a way that almost everybody says, oh, this is written for me or this is written for my worldview. So I know you've gone out and you've seen all these articles online where it's, you know, this rabbi says it's really a Jewish story and this priest mm-hmm. says it's really a Christian story. And uh, the Buddhists think it's theirs and the Hindus think it's theirs. And everybody, everybody thinks that this is their story. 
and they're all wrong, but they're all right. And they're all right because it's a story that I think like everybody kind of connects with. And if I have to pick sort of one worldview <laughs> to, with which to, to view the whole story, it's this idea of hedonism versus, you know, the virtuous life. You know, Phil's idea of what a good life is to this point is a hedonistic view, which is a true, I think, of a lot of people. Where he gets to by the end uh, is, I think, a, an Aristotelian idea of the good life, which is a life of virtuous activity. It's a life where he is doing stuff um, all the time, and he's interacting with other people and affecting them in a positive way, and he moves from, it's a fundamental shift not only in his behavior, but how he views what a good life is. The he's still recognizably Phil, but I don't think he has much in common with the Phil that we see in this scene. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The, the the sound you hear is me nodding in agreement. Very much so. And yeah, that's I love all that. I agree with all that. I think that um that people coming from so many different backgrounds see themselves or see their own philosophy or religion in the movie is is one of the powers. And I come to it from, um, from a non-religious perspective, from the perspective of an atheist. Atheist, and I think it's a there's a very strong message here, in that, um, in in for you know for the the morality of an atheist lifestyle that Phil doesn't know how he's going to end if this loop is going to end. There's no. There's no promise of a great reward. There's nothing that lays out. There's no indication that it's if you can be good enough, if you have the perfect day, if you do, you know, if you grow emotionally and you act out and you live that life, then the loop ends and you get escape. Mm. That's never presented. We didn't, you know, that's there's no promise of that when he does yeah. the good things or when he just changes his lifestyle and he changes his outlook and he changes his behavior, he just, he does it for the sake of, yeah. of doing it and for himself. There's no promise of a reward. There's no one saying, yeah, yeah you're going to get to heaven or you're going to live a good life or you're going <laughs> to live a different day. You could, you know, he, there, he goes in with the expectation of the world isn't going to change. The loop isn't going to change. It's what's going to make me happy. Um, and I forget where I heard it. I think this this it may have been Aristotle, it may go back that far, the saying that a a good life is its own reward. Mm. And I always interpret that as meaning you you don't need a God, you don't need a higher power. And those people that are lacking those beliefs, that there's no necessity that the you know, that lack of faith means a lack of ethics or a lack of morality that you can still have a good life and you, there's still reasons to live the, the quote unquote good life and that it's, it's its own reward. And again, that's what Phil is doing or that's what he's going to do. That's what he's, mm -hmm. you know, eventually going to reach the level of, of doing those things with, um, yeah, yeah again, with, with no promise that mm -hmm. it's going to fix his problem, no promise that it's going to get him out of this loop. It just comes down to, you know, what's, what's going to make you happy. And I think of um, another mm -hmm. movie, American History X, uh, with Ed Norton. And he plays a, um, a neo-Nazi. He's a racist. And he beats a guy up and he goes to jail. And he's in jail with 
Um, there's the Nazi gang and there's the black gangs and the Hispanic gangs and all the different things in jail. And, um, eventually he has a falling out with his Aryan brotherhood that he's been hanging out with. And a former teacher visits him who happens to be African-American, a black man. And he doesn't say, do you see that your racism is wrong? Or do you see that these groups are wrong? Because he, at that point, the teacher gets the hint that, or gets the inclination that the Ed Norton character is picking up those things on his own. But what he says is, what does it get you? You know, the, the racism and, and the groups and the people you've been hanging out with, mm. where mm. does it get you? And, and that's the same thing I would say to Phil, it, you know, not trying to make a, a religious or even a moralistic argument for don't be, don't be the jerk you've been. Don't be narcissistic, not because it's wrong, not because of heaven and hell and all this other stuff. It's just, what does it get you? Are you happy? If, <laughs> if you're really happy being a jerk, then I guess I don't have an argument against being a jerk, but I have a feeling of, if, if um, you know, when Phil gets to the point that he can really be honest with himself, that he would admit that it's not making him happy and that that is, that's the reason to change. That's all the reason that I think people need. And I think that's the only thing that works is when they realize not a punishment coming from outside, whether it's supernatural or just punishment from society, but from within to say, this, it, this isn't making me happy anymore, if it ever did. And then that's why I change for myself. Yeah, and I think that that kind of takes us from this scene all the way to the end of the movie. But I think you hit the nail right on the head is that the reward, so to speak, for Phil living a good life is to be the kind of Phil who lives a good life. And the punishment for him now, that the pain and the distress that he's experiencing now, as Gus points out, is um, it's not that there are any consequences. This movie very cleverly takes that away. It takes away the whole utilitarian argument. Um because there aren't really any consequences for what he does, but he's still punished by being the kind of person that he is. And that's what he can't escape until he becomes a better person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I have trouble <laughs> talking about this movie one minute at a time. Um, I do tend to jump toward, right to the end, to the kind of the, the punchline or the moral, of the story or, or some of the things we see later in. Um, but, but kind of keeping to thing kind of trying to bring it back to, yeah, where we are now and where Phil is now. So something I've talked about uh, previously is the the five mm -hmm. stages of grief, that uh, the, the Kubler-Ross model, which um, has kind of been debunked in terms of um, actual mm -hmm. um, kind of actual therapy and actual behavior and, and the stages that people really go through commonly. But I still think it's interesting way to look at the movie. So a uh, quick recap, those, the five stages of grief are uh, in order, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And so I think Phil, hmm. Phil is moved past denial um, at this point. Yeah. I still think he's in anger. Um, you know, he's not yelling and screaming, ranting and raving, not that kind of anger, but I think he's still in the stage of, you know, this, this is not fair. Why this day? Why couldn't, you know, why not another day if I'm going to be stuck? Why aren't I stuck in the Virgin Islands versus, yeah. you know, Punxy PA? Um, and I do think that we'll, we'll see him move through some of these other stages. I think there, there are some parallels. But I think at this point, I think this is still, um, you know, as, as calmly as he's speaking, 
as rationally as he sounds, I think this is. I agree this is totally. The angry Phil. This is him stamping his hand on the table, whether he does it out loud or not, and saying, "Why can't I have that day? Why doesn't the world give me exactly what I want?" Yeah, which is, you know, what that's that's a pretty good question. <laughs> Why doesn't the world just give me what I want? Although, honestly, if I was gonna if I was gonna answer that honestly, I would actually have to say, for the most part, it does. I would say the world has given me, you know, not not like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, not winning lottery numbers and, um, you know, not, um, you know, not a, a, a prime job in show business like the, the Channel 9 weatherman in Pittsburgh, PA. But um, I, I'm, I'm kind of an optimist. I think life is pretty good. And I think the universe has given me what I want. What would, what would you say, Dave? Do you think, uh, how's the universe? Treating you? I mean, there, there's, there's definitely some, uh, some, some, some rough <laughs> aggravations, but you know, when you look at the, the news and you try and you pull yourself out of your own mind, you go, yeah, there's definitely some like worse, worse things that could be happening that I should be thankful for that I'm still walking around. I have a lot of gratitude for my life, but I think that if Phil, had my life. If the movie was Phil dropping into my life, he would say, Oh, this sucks. <laughs> Why can't I be in the Virgin Islands? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I recognize that part of it too. I work, um, an office job. I sit, well, I don't know to say an office makes it sound better. I work a cube job. Um, I go to an office building, but I sit in a cube. I don't have a door and walls. I can hear everything that's going on around me. So it's, um, you know, challenge to concentrate and and do my work. And it's a lot of the same things over and over again. There's a lot of, if I didn't have a calendar, if I didn't have a, a clock and everything on my phone, um, there are no outward indications of what day it is at any one point in terms of the the issues I'm facing and the, the, the challenges posed by the corporate structure. That's kind of the same, the same thing every day. Kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like Ralph says, I mean, the, the, the outward appearance is a little bit different. It's a, you know, it's a modern office building in metropolitan, uh, just outside of Boston. It's not, um, it's not a blue collar town in central PA, but, you know, if if I was a glass half empty kind of guy, I could certainly I could certainly have a lot of the same complaints that Phil has or the complaints that Gus has. But at the same time, it's like, hey, you're they're practically out in the country. I mean, there's probably like a lot of clean air. There's not a lot of traffic. They're not they're not right off of 80. It isn't like they've got to put up with with diesel smoke from the trucks going through on the interstate. Um yeah, what's so wrong with being stuck in Punxsutawney every day? Yeah, I mean, I live in a town that's not so very different from Punxsutawney. I live in a house that was originally built as a coal patch house. So some of those houses that you saw at the beginning of the movie as they were driving from Pittsburgh to Punxsutawney, and you know, they all kind of look the same, is that, that that's the kind of house I live in. And I have a very similar job to yours. You know, I spend my days in Cubeville as well. But, you know, two generations back, the people living in this house went down into a coal mine for 12 or 14 hours a day, six days a week, and maybe didn't come back. So I feel like a pretty last half full is like, you know what? Cubeville ain't so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of worse options. 
So the, the last note that I have for minute 30 is as the gentlemen are making their exit from the bowling alley, we get a look at, um, at Gus and the shirt that has been mostly covered up by his, uh, his flannel or his checkered shirt before, but we see the t-shirt underneath is just like the cheapest, like $5 parking lot, unsanctioned black market, <laughs> Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil. Like the letters are in red, but the rough sketch of a groundhog, It's there's no color or anything. It's just like a plain white tee that someone slapped an iron on. Like seriously, does anyone think he paid more than five bucks for that t-shirt? Uh, he probably bought this shirt at the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> or a flea market. It could have been at a flea market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, flea market. Yeah. yeah. But this is this is not I, I'm I'm guessing that's not an officially licensed Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil product. That's, that, that, that's doesn't have the at best a gray market. Seal of shirt. approval, probably not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, after after the Eagles won, there was so many knockoff uh Eagles jerseys and Eagles memorabilia stuff that was like underdogs. It was like a it was like a it was like a, it was like a farce green like hat you're like that's not the colors like that's not we're the underdogs like what what does that mean exactly like it's just <laughs> like it was all these like yeah just like they don't want to use or some yeah some like you know near uh parts of town where they were just like screw it, we're just gonna put the logo on the shirt like nfl be damned uh so yeah that's what the, his shirt was probably he bought it either at a gas station or a flea market <laughs> yeah gas station um, but yeah, my last note is that uh, these guys are too drunk to get in their car. And how common is this for them? <laughs> By the looks of that car, very. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like either they, yeah, either they drive home and they do a pretty good job of knowing where the cops are, and the cops are clearly not watching where these two guys could be driving around recklessly, or they're or they're both smart enough to go. Hey, we're pretty drunk. Let's just walk, and then they just. They walk aimlessly back to their houses and they pick it up tomorrow. Well, yeah. So I wonder, like, so this, this movie was, was, or is rated PG, but if this was released today, like, is this past minute enough to get it in our rating? I mean, you got drinking, you got smoking and it looks like someone's about to drive drunk. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no bad words. There's no sex, but, or, you know, there's, there's no nudity that we see. But like, is that enough? Would would this have been an R or at least a PG thirteen? I think it would have been. I think it'd be a PG thirteen if it was released today for no if for no other reason than the smoking. Because anytime you have smoking in a movie, it seems like nowadays they have to bump up the rating because children might be watching it. Mm-hmm. You can't give them the idea of you know having a really awesome life like Gus and Ralph by smoking those candle lights. <laughs> I mean, give yeah, uh, yeah. I think Variety brought up how like. There was people who are upset in Stranger Things how, you know, Hopper talks with the kids and he's constantly smoking around them. And it's like, it's kind of funny. You're like, yeah, we're in 2018. And like, yeah, smoking is very looked down upon now. But that was the 80s. It's like, A, that was the 80s. So, like, it's accurate that everyone's going to have a pack of cigarettes on them. Um, Mm -hmm. 
be like you're like when you look at his job and the personal and the personal junk he's got to go through from his his own past the government you know you got dimensional monsters these kids trying to keep this town <laughs> like from not getting blown apart it's like yeah he deserves a few cigs and a few uh, shots of whiskey in the morning yeah i mean i think this movie is a, another good example of how much things have changed on that front because i'm about the age that the kids in stranger things would have been in in the course of my lifetime i've seen it go from everybody smoked all the time everywhere to oh there's this new thing called a non-smoking section to now like if you want to smoke you monster we're gonna kick you out into the cold you know nobody smokes yeah yeah Yeah. well it used to be i i i'm about that same age and when you went to camp or you had arts and crafts like it was a normal thing every kid you made an ashtray that's you know that's one of the things that you'd make to bring home Cause, and that, that's how common it was, you know, that at least someone, you know, there'd be someone in the family that smoked that like, yeah, you, when you went off to camp, you'd, you know, you had your macrame and you'd make, uh, you know, keychains or something. And then you'd have clay and you'd mold it. You'd made an ashtray and you'd bring yeah. that home. But I don't know what yeah, kids nowadays. Make nowadays. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh boy. All right. So, um, well, Ben, just yeah. before we wrap up, so, um, Anything else on minute 30 or or groundhog or groundhog day related at all? Anything else you want to you want to share with us? Uh, no, I mean I I love this movie. It's one of my desert island movies as you could probably tell. Mm-hmm. And uh I, I intend to watch it as many more times in my life as I can. So I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, be on the show and run my mouth for a while. Oh, glad to have you on, definitely. Uh so yeah, let it let us know and uh, let the listeners know where they can uh, where they can go to listen to you uh, run your mouth more. <laughs> well, <laughs> mostly you'll hear my guests run their mouths if you listen to my podcast, which is called Department Twelve, and it's about industrial and organizational psychology. So if you're interested in psychology at work, you can look up Department Twelve wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I definitely recommend uh, people checking that out. I mean, if it's uh, I will admit I have not listened to it yet, but if it's half as interesting as you have been with us this week, then it's it's a heck of a show, I bet. Oh, thank you. Appreciate um, that. Yeah. And I, I also want to say that um, if you're wondering, where did you guys, you lames, where did you lames find such a wonderful guest? And I will reply that Ben reached out to us mm-hmm. through our Facebook group, and that is Gobbler's Knob the Groundhog Minute listeners group on Facebook. And so if you'd like to reach out with us, share your love of the movie, your love of psychiatry, uh, your love of camel um, lights, bootleg. <laughs> yeah. Your love of light cigarettes and, <laughs> and lighter beers. Um, so yeah, check this out. Check, check us out on uh, the gobbler's knob on Facebook. And we'd, we'd love to see you there. And so that is it for us. Thank you once again, Ben. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dave, for being a great co-host. And thank you, folks out there, for listening. And we will see you all tomorrow, if there is one. Let them say your hair's too long, I don't care with you, I-